Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Trevor Sinclair to my Frank Sinclair. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good, thanks. It's obviously been a quiet weekend about the football, but it is what it is. We get on with it. We, we carry on. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's not been a particularly interesting weekend. Obviously, as I say, a lot of what we do revolves around the football. When there isn't football, it's all a bit quiet. Yeah, it's been a strange few days, hasn't it? First of all, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us, wherever you are. We're doing a Q&A this week because there's obviously no championship games. They were all postponed because of the death of Her Majesty the Queen. Now, of course, we at the second tier send our condolences and best wishes to the royal family. And it has certainly been a strange old few days, hasn't it? Many of those days have been taken up by me looking at my Twitter, Justin, and seeing the furious ongoing debate about whether games should have gone ahead this weekend. And it'll be no surprise to our listeners, or you, Justin, that as part of the Q&A, that was our most frequently asked <laughs> question. So we'll kick things off with, uh, with, should the football matches have been played this weekend, Justin? What do you think? Yes, I, I do think they should have been played. Um, personally, I... Uh... Uh, with the greatest respect to uh, what's happened, um, I don't think it was necessary to to postpone all the, all of the all of the games for everybody else going into work. Um, it's it's business as usual, um, so I don't see why that's different with the with the sport or with the football, I should say. Because again, with hindsight, all of the other sporting um, organisations have gone ahead with with plans to to keep things going as usual um so i don't i don't understand why football is different um i really don't i think it was the premier league who led it i, I think it would have been strange if the efl had have uh, had have gone against the the premier league um and there'd just been efl games on this this weekend um so they had to follow suit but as i say i just didn't see i just didn't see any reason why to um well i just didn't see any reason to cancel the games to be honest with you or postpone them i should say yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, personally. My personal opinion is the game should have gone ahead, but I don't think it's the wrong decision that they didn't go ahead. I think it would have been a nice tribute to the Queen for her life, um, for the games to have gone on this weekend and there'd be a minute silence at every game across the country in kind of a stance of life goes on kind of thing, if you see what mm. I mean. Um, and I have seen one of the reported reasons for games being called off was concerns over fans being disrespectful. I don't think that would have happened personally, but it's a sad state of affairs that football fans are distrusted this much. <sighs> if you didn't want to go to a game this weekend because you thought it would be disrespectful, no one's forcing you to go. So if you did, if, if you did think it was wrong that games should have gone ahead, then you just didn't have to go. Simple as that, really. So I think it is a big shame as well that supporters across the country will have been left out of pocket because of the late decision, because of things like buying train tickets and hotels, etc. So that's a big shame as well. So there's a lot of arguments for it going ahead, but I don't think it's an absolutely disgraceful decision no. that it's not gone ahead I don't think it's the wrong decision I've seen a lot of people online acting like it's the worst thing that's ever happened but I I don't think it's that big a deal to be honest um, we've got football in midweek so it's not like we're going numerous days without mm -hmm. um, having some sort of football in our lives um, let's move on then Justin and get back into 
actual championship matters, shall we? Stuart Mansfield wants to know, is the gulf between the championship and League One getting wider? And if so, how worried should we feel about it? Justin Peach. I think logically, yes, because the financial gulf between the Premier League and the Championship is so huge. And obviously, we all know that money doesn't trickle down into the lower leagues. Um, I do think there's always been a big difference between League One and Championship anyway. I think the, the most common example I use in episodes is, is the Craig McHale Smith theory of him being such a incredible goal scorer at League One level, but not managing to do it in the Championship. Um and I just think that that is that is the difference. I think that, that was, was obviously quite a, diff- a few years ago now, though, Justin. It's still a very relevant example um, because Jack Marriott has had the same thing. He's he scored goals for fun at League One level for for a season. Um, maybe not the best example, but for a season he did, um, and was really subpar in the Championship. And it's down to obviously the difference in quality. There are better defenses, better. Um, better goalkeepers etc you get more chances in League One Um, and that is down to the quality of play which is obviously down to the finance as well Um, but I do think there are examples uh, quite a few examples actually going through um, preparing for this episode there are quite a few examples of clubs coming from League One and thriving Um, if you've got a sound plan good recruitment team and you're willing to be patient I think you'll be successful you've only got to look at the, the likes of Brentford Brighton and Bournemouth they've all been in League One in the last 10 years so I don't think it's always down to a big gulf in quality or a big gulf in, in, in between. I think a lot of clubs are generally just smaller clubs um, and don't have the wealth or the structure to cope with being in a championship. You look at Yeovil. Yeovil are a really good example of it happening too soon for them, far too soon, and they're paying the price of it now, which has been cited as a reason as to why they've fallen down the league. It's because they overspent in the championship. I would disagree. I don't think there is that big a gap between the championship in League One. I think the biggest gap is in League One itself, where you've got these big teams, the likes of, you know, Derby's, Ipswich's, Portsmouth's, etc. And then you've got the bottom half of League One, where you've got your, your teams, which are actually quite small and are pretty interchangeable in terms of club size with many League Two sides. I think that's where the big gap is and it seems like we're getting to a stage now where there might be the odd team here and there who breaks the mould but we're seeing this continuing cycle between the top teams in League One and various championship teams who have just been poorly run over the years and Mm -hmm. just having to reset. So I think that's where the real gap is because I think you look at Sunderland how they've done this season. They've come up into championship and of taking it to like a duck to water. And I think if you had, for example, an Ipswich, for example, who got promoted into the championship and had a summer's worth of recruitment behind them, they'd be fine. I don't think they'd be in much danger of going down. So that's where I see the big divide. I think the teams who are coming up from League One into the championship and struggling are the ones like your Rotherham's, for example, who are too good for League One but just simply are struggling financially to compete properly at championship level and I think eventually that will prove to be the same again this season so that's where I see the gap I don't think there is much of a gap between the championship and League One just because there are some big clubs in League One who could very easily transfer over into the championship personally and let's move on Justin Rob Walker asks has the bottom three changed from your original predictions if so who do you have there now and why 
I think the obvious ones to potentially come out, and they were the ones that I was most stuck on. So if I was to go off my bottom three prediction and not ours, um, I would say Reading are probably that team that are going to claw their way out of it. And that's not necessarily down to the backlash of me suggesting they could still be in a relegation battle um, at some point in the season. But it is down to the quality of their squad that they've got available to them now. I think Paul Lintz has done a really good job of putting together a really good unit of players. It just depends. I think a lot of things depend on Paul Lintz. So if I was to swap any team out, it would probably be Reading. Maybe Rotherham coming out of it as well. Uh, and I'd swap them potentially with Coventry. Um, now, the only thing, the only reason why I, I'd, I'd potentially swing Coventry into that category is because the amount of games they've now got to play um, because of their postponed fixtures. Obviously, we've had another postponed fixture this week. That's three games, four games, so they've now got to fit into an already five ridiculous well, next weekend's games, Justin. Yeah, potentially five games to fit into an already awful schedule for football clubs over the next well for championship and premier league football clubs over the next several months over the next several months i i struggle to see coventry finding momentum um I, so i do worry for them so potentially coventry and reading to come out of it but i would stick to it for now maybe a 15 games come back to us yeah, I, I think if you are seriously considering changing your bottom three now, just and you're getting a bit carried away with the start of the season because <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint, as we have to remind people constantly. Um, it's strange because my bottom three that I predicted was the same bottom three that I had as soon as the season ended. I And, and it didn't change all summer, basically. I think right now I still would have the same bottom three. Rotherham, Rotherham and Reading have started brilliantly, but I just don't think their squads are big enough or strong enough to make their good form last over the next nine months or so. Birmingham squad, I think, is actually quite good, but I think they're just such a basket, clay, basket case of a club behind the scenes that they're heading in that direction, which is ultimately League One. Um, it may not happen this season, but I think it will happen in the next two or three seasons. The only team who are making me question my bottom three at the moment right now is Huddersfield because they have been so startlingly bad um, mm. and the squad is just clearly lacking the quality that it had last season. I don't think you can point the fingers really at Danny Schofield for how they've started so far, but he is an inexperienced manager who's having to make do with the, tool that, the tools that he's got. And I think that's proving to be quite difficult for them, Justin. Yeah, I just want to point something out on Huddersfield, actually. They've they've really shot themselves in the foot not backing Danny Schofield. Um, and Huddersfield are a team I'd, I'd certainly put in that category of being relegation-threatened already. Um, but if you look at the corner they turned under Carlos Corbran, obviously they sacked Danny Cowley because they wanted to go in a different direction footballing-wise, brought in Corbran, worked great for 18 months of his two-year tenure. They've gone to Danny Schofield, so they've carried that on a little bit. But if Danny Schofield is to get sacked, who then comes in to replace him? Is it going to be your archetypal relegation um, master, uh, you know, the Neil Warnock? I mean, he inevitably linked with the, he would inevitably be linked with the job anyway. But they really would have shot themselves in the foot, I think, not backing Danny Schofield or not giving him more backing or not backing Carlos Corbran because if they'd have backed Carlos Corbran, he'd probably still be at the club. Well, he would still be at the club because he said that's yeah. the reason why he went, wasn't it? Uh, let's move on. George Dupree has this question. Is this the most competitive championship for a long time? What do you think, JP? I really do uh, think it is, actually. If you look at the likes of Burnley, they've had a massive transition. So I think they're in open water. Um, 
Norwich might just do what Norwich do as per usual, but they have shown signs of weakness this season already. The first two games come to mind. They they were really, really average. I know they created chances, but they just didn't really put them away, obviously. And Watford, again, they're, they're a team in transition coming down. So I think that opens the field up a lot more. Sheffield United are very, very good. They're very efficient. Um, they're very good defensively, and that's what, that's what their side's built on. Um, but I do think it's a lot more open than perhaps it just being the parachute payment teams. Because uh, if you go back to last season, for example, I know Forrest got promoted, um, but it was Bournemouth and Fulham top two from mid-September to the end of the season. And it was fairly hard finding things to talk about with Fulham because they were so good pretty much every week. Um, so I do think this season's a lot more open because Burnley will go through the motions, Watford will go through the motions, Norwich have gone through the motions and I'm sure they'll do the same again. So I think that opens up the the, the table a little bit to a Bristol City potentially, maybe even a Sunderland going on a run. Obviously you've got Middlesbrough who yet to get into, um, get into form similar to West Brom. So I do think it's incredibly competitive, and obviously we can't even call the bottom three yet. I know, I know, you're, you're still set on your your predictions, but I'm I'm in the air at the moment. I would actually have to disagree with you again here, Justin. I think <laughs> it may not actually be as competitive as it has been in past seasons, and the reason I say that is I could quite easily see the top six being the top six that a lot of people predicted at the start of the season. That being Norwich, Sheffield United, Watford. Burnley, West Brom and Middlesbrough. There may be the odd team or, odd team or two there who cause them a few problems, but I, th- I just think those six teams have so much more about them in terms of squad depth, quality, financial resources, that they are just stronger <laughs> than all the other teams mm. in the Championship, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it is. I think we may be heading slightly away from it being a competitive league and is just having this rotated rotation um, amongst the bottom half of the Premier League and the top six in the Championship now with the odd team breaking the mould every so often. But they'll have to still have some financial, you know, manoeuvre room themselves to actually break that mould. Max Mays wants to know whether our opinions on Paul Ince have changed or is it too early to tell, Justin? I'll start this one. (laughs) They have. Um, Not dramatically, but he's certainly gone up in my opinion by a decent amount. And I think the reason for that is because my opinion of Paul Ince before was so massively low (laughs) that it couldn't have gone much lower, really. I don't think, though, we were particularly wrong to think like that Justin because you look at his managerial record prior to the Reading job it was pretty woeful wasn't it and there was a reason why he was without a club for what was it eight years because it was just that bad so he's obviously coming to Reading right now he's done a fantastic job and even if Reading did end up getting relegated this season I think he deserves a lot of praise for the job that he's done he certainly deserves praise but I think it's too early to tell I don't think we've agreed on a question yet, which is great. Uh, yeah, an unpredictable podcast for an unpredictable league, eh? <laughs> um, but with Paul, it's I, I think it's I think it's too early to tell. As I said, deserves a lot of credit, but I used the I used an example in our midweek episode of Paul Ince at Blackpool. He had them in the playoffs in December, and they were relegation candidates by April, and then he got sacked. Um, so I think it's I, I, I think it's harder with him to judge 
just because there's not enough data to judge him by because his last job was at Blackpool eight years ago. Um, so I'm I'm in that ballpark of if he can keep Reading above the bottom three this season, then he will certainly go up in my estimations. But for me, there's a reason why no club went after Paul Ince over the last eight years. Um, I just don't think he's got the, the nous to be a successful manager um, at championship level anymore. Maybe he never did, to be honest. Um, but as I said, he's doing a really good job at Reading, at Reading this season. And I think that has to be applauded. Yeah, I agree with that. Josh Penn Watson asks, what team would you take on as a manager if you could? Justin, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, this is a football manager question, isn't it? Really, it's like, which team would you pick in the championship this season to be to be your save? The obvious ones would be Luton or Blackpool because of low resources and needing to get more out of it. But if I was to be a fickle manager, a bit like Alex Neil wanting to go to a club um, with a bigger budget, then the obvious one would be Stoke. But I think Stoke are in, I think they're in a little bit of a mess at the minute because of everything that's um, everything that's that's been happening over the last few years, i.e. the the underperformance and mediocrity that's become accepted. So if I was to pick a club, I'd pick between Sunderland and Bristol City. Two reasons why. They've got good squads. They've got good resource available to them. They've got owners who are willing to back them. Steve Lansdowne's chucked so much money at Bristol City over the years. Um, As well as that, they've got really good academies bringing players through. If you look at Bristol City, there's Alex Scott, Tommy Conway. There's been Joe Bryant, Bobby Reid, Josh Brownhill in the past. I think Brownhill was recruited elsewhere. Um, Sunderland, there's Alex Patterson in goal, Dan Neal. There's really good academies in good catchment areas. So if I was to pick of the uh, the clubs in the Championship, it really would be a coin toss between Bristol City and Sunderland. Interesting. I'd go for Luton every day of the week. (laughs) They were the first one who came to mind for me. I just think... They they are probably the best run club in the country, arguably. Recruitment is absolutely spot on. You do well to find a better recruitment team outside of the Premier League than the one at Luton. Everyone is in it together. There's a good collective team spirit there that works really well. The squad is really, really good as well. Um, and also, I don't think expectations are as big there as they would be at the vast majority of other championship clubs. If Luton were to finish in the bottom half of the championship this season, for example, it would be a disappointing season, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. So Luton is just the obvious one for me, just because they are so well run and the squad's good. Um, Nathan Jones is obviously loving life there right now. And I think... <laughs> If he were to go to Brighton, as rumours have have been suggested over the past few days, um, that would be a, a. If I was a coach, I'd love to go to be at Luton because I think you'd just be given time there as well to really work your magic as well, which I think is um, one of the key aspects. If I was a manager, um, this is interesting. Justin Conomate asks us which manager is next to be sacked in the Championship. I think the obvious one is potentially Danny Schofield, isn't it? Just because of where Huddersfield are and the situation they find themselves in. I think so, yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not sold that Huddersfield had a sound plan for Corbrand leaving, to be honest with you. I think Danny Schofield's been chucked in at the deep end um, by a hierarchy that not haven't lied, but I just don't think they've they've um, they've done things the way they, they suggested they may do. Um, and as I say, I just don't think they had a plan 
for Corbran leaving. I don't think anybody expected him to leave so when he did uh, and how he did. Um, so I do think Danny Schofield finds himself in a situation where they might ask him to step back down to the under-23s while they bring in an experienced manager. Um other than him, potentially Steve Morrison, but I think he's got time on his side. I think the Cardiff hierarchy are very good at giving managers time because you look at how much time Mick McCarthy got last season. He got far too much. Um, and similar to Neil Warnock when he was sacked and, and similar to Neil Harris, actually. So they do give their managers time. So I think this next one is hard to call, but I'd say Stanley Schofield certainly leading the way just because of where Huddersfield will find themselves. Yeah, I don't think there's an obvious shout right now. I don't think it would be Schofield just because I don't think Huddersfield will be quick to get rid of him. I think they'll give him a chance, despite them being so terrible so far. So while I don't think Schofield, at the time of recording, will last the season, I don't think he'd be the next manager to go. I think Steve Morrison at Cardiff is an obvious shout, because whenever I go on Cardiff's Twitter at full time at the moment, and I look at the replies, it's just constantly Morrison out, he's out of his depth, all that kind of stuff. So... I'd say he'd be one of the candidates to be the next manager to be sacked, and plus Cardiff aren't doing very well at the moment anyway. An interesting one, Justin, could be Mark Robbins at Coventry. No. It seems, well, you say that, it seems like there's a bit of friction behind the scenes. There have been r- rumours of a bit of a falling out between him and certain players. He seems a bit ticked off that he didn't have more backing during the summer. So I don't think, despite him doing a marvellous job, and I really rate Mark Robbins as a manager, I don't think he's doing a bad job at all. It wouldn't surprise me to see him walk. Well, yeah, I, I, I certainly, there'd be much higher probability of him walking out of Coventry based on the, the circumstances you were talking about because he has cut an incredibly frustrated figure in each of his post-match press conferences. Um, this season and from what I've read uh, with, with regards to recruitment he's been very frustrated with that as well the pitch situation Mark Robbins I mean he's always, he always looks like a man who's ready to blow anyway he doesn't crack a smile very often but you can tell he's been mega pissed mega pissed off um, since, yeah. the, uh, since, uh, since the summer so yeah I think he's more likely to walk than he is to get sacked but if, if Coventry I mean, to be fair that, that, again their owners do have a do have a um, habit of imploding every now and then, don't they? Um, as we know in the, with 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 what's happened in the past, so I won't be surprised to see if he does get sacked and they import and they um, appoint someone completely random, and they go back down to League One. Um, they they have that to potential the Coventry ownership to to make some bad decisions. Well, it's been a rocky start, hasn't it? I don't think that's that can be denied really, and. I think Mark Robbins is certainly looking ticked off. So, yeah, wouldn't surprise me if something were to happen with that in the coming weeks. Uh, final one before we have a break, Justin. Mark Ingram has a good question for us. Which championship player will have the biggest impact at this year's World Cup? Who are you saying, Justin? I think that's a really hard question. It's a good question, but it's a really hard one because it, was a, it would have been a much easier question to answer last season because you've got the likes of Mitrovic, Harry Wilson, Brennan Johnson, who potentially have massive impacts for their countries. Um, but the only ones I could really think of that might do, potentially Junior Hoylip with Canada. Um, but the obvious one for me is Ismail Assar and uh, Senegal. Um, obviously, they, they're coming going into the World Cup off the back of winning AFCON um, earlier this year. Uh, and Senegal have a really good team. And Ismail Assar is an incredibly gifted footballer. Um, so if anyone's going to have a, a big impact at the World Cup from a championship point of view, potentially Assar. I think Senegal are the championship fans 
team to follow, Justin, because you've got Ishmael Assar, they've got Uliman Ndai as well. Not mm-hmm. sure if he's going to start games, but he's certainly going to be involved, I imagine. And if he does, even better, because that is an exciting attack into of Saar and Ndai. I really like that. But they've also got <laughs> Seni Dieng in goal. And Fomara Jesus there as well, Justin. And I always love it when Fomara Jesus is involved. So, yeah, Senegal are the championship casual fans' team to support, aside from, you know, Wales or England, whoever you're supporting. And I think the obvious answer for me is Josh Sargent for the USA. Now, he's started pretty much every game for America in recent times um, and is loving life in the championship right now. And I think he'll be their main threat um, going forwards because he has just been so good. He can play up top, he can play on the wing and is just in the form of his life right now. So he's going to be a really dangerous player for America. And may I remind you, it's USA v England in the (laughs) World Cup group stages. And if past experience has showed us anything, it's that English-based players who are American, love to punish England at the World Cup. So it won't surprise me if Josh Sargent is that man. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the other questions you guys have sent in. Welcome back to the Second Seer podcast. We'll just address one elephant in the room if you heard some whirring noise going on towards the end of the first part it's because uh justin's neighbor was mowing his grass am i right justin yep still still mowing his grass unfortunately um it's the first time literally in about three months he's cut his grass it's been quite long and he's deciding to do it on the day of all days yeah disgraceful uh, Justin, next question is from Sergeant Scooterboy, who wants to know the best free agent that could realistically join a championship side. I actually had, every so often, I like looking through who's a free agent right now just to see who championship clubs could potentially have a sniff of. Justin, who have you gone for? Uh, Matai Vidra is the obvious one. Um, That's exactly who I've gone for, Justin. Fine, I'll go for my backup one then instead. I've gone with Michael Hector. Who's still That's my backup one, you bastard. Well, there we go. There we go. I mean, there are, there are obvious ones. I've, I've even put Danny Rose in there for a, um, for a laugh, but he doesn't doesn't seem that his career is going to get back on track at um, a championship level anyway. Um, but Michael Hector, Michael Hector. He's, I think he's a very good defender at championship level. Um, he's very good with the ball at his feet. He's good in the air as well. Um, he was quite important to that Scott Parker promotion team for Fulham a couple of seasons ago. Um, not quite been involved too much and wasn't involved too much last season either. But I think for any team, you know, West Bromwich team, for example, um, who need a centre-half, I think Michael Hector could easily fit into, into that mould. Um, so, yeah... I think we spoke about we spoke at length about Hector before, but he's got all the attributes you need for a championship, um, a good championship central defender, and better yet, he's he's very composed with the ball at his feet, so he can fit into uh, a fair few systems as well. Justin, I am amazed that no championship club has picked up Michael yeah. Hector. I think he's just such a marvelous defender, and the fact that. There are so many teams in the championship who could use another centre-half and he's just sat there twiddling his thumbs. (laughs) It's just amazing. Maybe his wages will have put clubs off because I imagine he wouldn't be asking to play for peanuts. But if you get him, then you've got yourself a really steady championship defender who might not be at the peak of his powers anymore, but is still 
a really, really good defender. So it amazes me that he's still on the free agent market. Mata Vidra, I mean, five full seasons in the championship he's had, and he scored 15 goals in three of them. He's, at this level, a really, really good striker, isn't he? A really clinical mm-hmm. striker. And I will admit, it wasn't until uh, a few weeks ago that I realised he got released by Burnley. I thought he was still on the books <laughs> there. Um, but, I mean, it surprises me that a club hasn't gone in for him either. Maybe that's the same as Hector, really. He might be asking for a fair wage. But still, if you take a punt on him, I mean, how many clubs have I been saying could do with a good striker at this level? Matai Vidra, yeah. his record speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And he's a player who, again, he can fit into several different systems. He can, I don't think he could be a lone man, but he can certainly play off play off a, a number nine. He'd be very good in a in a front two or playing off a front two. Um, and yeah, his goal record's absolutely incredible. I think the only possible stumbling block is is potentially um, wage wages or even um, uh, he's injured until October, I think. So that might be putting clubs off as well. But if someone like Matai Vidra is free, you go for him, especially at championship level. I think any championship club should be looking at him, apart from Burnley, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Another one, an honourable mention, is uh, Gary Cahill, who got released by Bournemouth. This time last year, he was amazing for Bournemouth. And sure, he's getting on a bit now. We all know that. But you get yourself a leader in the dressing room, a player who can still do it out on the pitch. I think he'd be a good pickup for most championship sides. Uh, Harry Robbins asks, why are we obsessed with Birmingham City? <laughs> um, I'll take this one, Justin. We are obsessed with Birmingham City. We're also obsessed with the other 23 clubs in the championship because this is a championship podcast. That's why we're obsessed with Birmingham City. I think I've noticed a lot of Birmingham fans getting very upset recently about um, how we've been talking about them. But I mean, really, is there anything positive to say about them? Um, When you've been as poor as they have been on the pitch, sure, they played quite well last time out. But they're just a basket case of a club, aren't they? Who... Mm -hmm. Every every Birmingham fan will admit it in private. They're going in the wrong direction. Sure, they've got this takeover that, well, is it a takeover or not? Um, but it's just clear the club's in a bit of a state right now, on and off the pitch. And I like I, like, I love Birmingham as a club. It's a brilliant club with a brilliant fan base, but it's just plainly obvious that they're not going in the right direction. And I can understand fans being upset by an outsider saying it, but. I think they all know that as well. It's it's the logical the logical answer is there's a lot of news that comes out of Birmingham. Not a lot of it is positive. We comment on this news. We add our opinions to this news. And that's it. Uh, Derby County were the same last season. We spoke about Derby a lot last season because of how much of a basket case they were. A lot of that was negative. Um, and as I say... Birmingham City. I, I, I've wrote, I've written the same thing down here. I don't think any Birmingham City fan can say there's been it's been a, a, a fountain of happiness at St Andrews over the last few years, um, and that's 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 what we're commenting on. Um, and I say there's just not much positive positivity that comes out of Birmingham City. If someone can point us in the direction to it, please do because we'd love to comment on it. But until you do, we we can only comment on what we see. I always say this, Justin about football fans it's like if you you criticize your brother right you criticize your brother to you know your family members or your friends and it's fine but if you hear someone else criticizing your brother you go you what mate um and i think that's what it is with football with football teams like when it's an outsider criticizing your football team then 
people get their backs up about it. But I mean, we're a championship podcast commenting on the championship. What do you expect us to do? Um, Carol Thompson has this question. Who has been the most exciting newcomer to the championship arriving from outside the UK? I think you might have the same answer as me, Justin. Maybe. I'm quite excited now. Um, do you want to do it? Do you want to say it at the same time? It's like three, two, one. Okay. Three, two, one. Anil Ekman Damn oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I didn't go to plan. Well, there you go, Justin. Tell me about Marcelino Nunes. He's going to be a fun player this season. He's going to be such a fun player to watch this season. I mean, he's free kick against Hull. I know they lost the game, Norwich, but his free kick against Hull was just absolutely obscene. And I think because they lost the game, because this does have an impact on whether a goal can be goal of the season because they lost that game. Probably doesn't get talked about enough, but he's been really exciting. He's he's There's always... I think for me anyway, there's always um, there's always a little bit of hesitancy hesitancy when players come from really far away from the UK because you you know it's not a nice climate to live in, is it? Being in England, it's a bit of a um, contrast between here and Chile, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Chile's not a warm climate all year round by any means, but certainly weather wise, it's probably a lot more consistent than it is over here. Um, and at that, you know, I know we're speaking in jest, but it does have an impact on on players. Um, but Marcino Nunez, I think, is is really added something to that Norwich midfield. He's a bit of a box to box player, but he's 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 got a lot of skill um, in his repertoire, and he's 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 added a different dimension to that three midfield. Because for the last few years, I've only ever known Norwich play a four two three one under Daniel Farker. So for them to go to a four three three is really strange, and you've got to really get that balance right, and he adds that balance perfectly. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he progresses throughout the season. Because as I say, it's going to get into a point where the games build up, it gets really hard, especially for players coming from abroad. You're playing two games a week every week. It, it does get tricky for players who aren't used to it. So it'll be interesting to see how he, he, he manages that. But from what I've seen so far, he's certainly going to be fine. I mean, Chile's a, um, it's a mountainous country, so his lungs are going to be great. Especially because Norwich is really flat yeah. as well. Actually, Norwich isn't flat. Norwich is quite hilly, but Norfolk is really flat. Um, so, yeah, he, he'll thrive in those conditions. Um, but, yeah, he is an amazing player. He's technically gifted. He's yeah. just sensational. He's so fun to watch. And he's still very young as well. So he's mm. got a lot of growing room. And he's taken to the championship like a duck to water. How many times have we said about players coming from South America to the championship? Nine times out of ten, they struggle. He's gone straight into the team and been brilliant, hasn't he? So he's been really good. Uh, but Ahmed Dozovic at um, Sheffield United is just, wow, what a player. I know Sheffield United got a lot of, spent a lot of money on him, but he has been amazing so far. Um, joined from Bordeaux and has just been, he's just been great. Well, he actually was at Malmo and on loan at Bordeaux, but you get my point. And he's just coming to the championship I think you were saying it, Justin. He doesn't look like a mm. big, strong centre-half, really, does he? But when you see him on the pitch, he's certainly not messing around when it comes to, you know, challenging attackers or, you know, beating defenders in the air when it comes to set pieces because he's got a hatload of goals as well. But he's just looked like an unbelievable bit of business for Sheffield United. Also a very young player. And I can see why Paul Heckingbottom was so keen to get him in for so long because he just looks... Like a really, really solid defender. Great with the ball at his feet as well. There's a lot of boxes ticked with uh, this lad. And uh, I think he's a really exciting player. Shaw asks us, which team has impressed you the most this season so far that you weren't expecting to? 
the obvious one is Reading. They've obviously come up quite a lot so far, but they've been getting good results and they have been playing relatively well. Yeah, they don't create a shed load of chances. Uh, defensively, they're not the best, but they're getting results. And if you add Lucas Shaw into that team, they can become a winning team quite easily because I think they've got a solid, a solid starting eleven, um, and I do think they've got a solid squad as well. Um, you know, they look at the likes of Tom Holmes, Tom McIntyre, two very good defenders. Andy, Andy Yeardham statistically was one of the best right backs in the league last season, um, despite Reading struggles. Baba Rahman, again, is a consistent fullback as well. Um, so I think they've got a, a really, really good balance defensively. Joe Lumley, a lot of question marks there, but as long as he's not facing too many shots, he'll be fine. Um, it's just it's just going forwards that they, they, there might be issues. But yeah, Reading have impressed me, um, mainly down to results, not necessarily performances, but they've shown a gritty side that they that they didn't have last season. They barely had a backbone last season, and that's not me being overly critical for a team that conceded the amount of goals they did last season. They look completely different side to 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 what they to what they were. Yeah, completely fair comment, Justin, and I agree with you. I think the other one for me would be Sunderland. Now, I thought Sunderland would do well this season. I thought they'd probably quite easily stay up and be looking more towards a lower mid-table, maybe even mid-table finish. But so far, they've been excellent. A lot of that has been down to Ross Stewart, who's just been one of the best strikers in the championship so far. He has been exceptional up top. But Ellis Sims has been great. Jack Clark playing at wing-back has been... I mean, where, who saw that coming? Jack Clark playing at <laughs> wing-back and being one of the best uh, wing-backs in the division. It was just astounding. He's been an absolute revelation. Um, but Alex Neal was really getting the best out of him. Obviously, he's gone now. Tony Mowbray's got to take up that mantle now and try and figure out how to keep that momentum going. And I think he will. I think he will certainly make them safe in the championship without a doubt um, and just keep the progression going that so far they've got and it's been really really good really really a um, solid start from Sunderland and I think this is I think the ultimate aim obviously for them is to get back into the Premier League and so far this season has been a great stepping stone for them doing that and um, Ben Smith wants to know what the most challenging and enjoyable aspects of recording a podcast together is now I don't know if Ben was asking what the most challenging and enjoyable aspects of recording a podcast with you is, Justin, or whether he just meant as a podcast in general. Um, I can say the most challenging thing about recording a podcast with Justin Peaches is time management, um, because his punctuality certainly leaves a lot to be desired. Um, but I tell you what, he's all right to record a podcast with. <laughs> um, most challenging part of doing a podcast, I suppose, for anyone considering starting a podcast is you've really got to commit to it, haven't you, Justin? <laughs> yeah you do yeah yeah yeah. what twice a week uh twice a week every week for the last two years at the very non-existent least. sundays for yeah, some, most yeah, days early starts on a thursday late on a wednesday potentially um yeah it's like it's fun i think the most enjoyable bit is obviously i mean i, I want to say working with you but yeah, that's more of a yeah, you know, has its moments. Cheers, mate. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. That's I, as close I, I, as a compliment I'm getting from Justin <laughs> Pete, so I'll take it. Recording recording with someone I've known for over 20 years is, is fun. Um, that's as far as i 20 long that. years. 20 long years. Um, but, I mean, putting it bluntly, Justin, we're getting paid to talk about football. And I think yeah. that's a dream of a lot of people, isn't it? And yeah. we're very grateful that we have that opportunity now. Um, mm. Obviously, 
we got to this position because we're putting a lot of hard work over there over those years into it and i think a message for anyone who is thinking about starting a podcast is you've got to be consistent with your schedule if you say you're going to do an episode every sunday make sure you do one every sunday um and acknowledge that you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of your time and uh social life to um to make it a success um but as long as you're enjoying it then the listener will enjoy it too yeah yeah completely agree um talking about football is is the dream isn't it um and we just we just get to ramble on to each other about it and can't really can't really complain about it too much unless i am getting called a virgin and a nonce on a on a daily basis but i think that's just part and parcel of recording a podcast Hey, it's one of the most enjoyable aspects for me, watching you get abused <laughs> online. <laughs> and final question, Justin, is from Liam H. He asks us, if you could travel back in time, what year would it be and why? Yeah, put a lot of thought into this. It would be the it would be the mid, mid-80s, so 1985, I guess. But why? I guess 1984 and 86 would be good. The music was unreal. The fashion sense was great. I could grow a moustache. Thatcher, I'm Justin. Not... Oh, yeah, there is that. Uh, yeah. Closing the coal mines. <laughs> <laughs> what jobs do you reckon you'd do in the in the mid 80s i don't know actually i mean i've got a marketing degree and marketing was a lot easier in the the 80s because you could just build it all around sex couldn't you and it'd be easy well i can't yeah. do that now yeah can't, can't do that now um i don't know i don't know could we record a podcast in the 80s we could no. try could distribute it via tape tape decks I would definitely do the Marty McFly thing and just bet on sporting events and just get absolutely loaded through that way. And that's how I'd make a living, I think. And create a dystopian future, make it miserable for everybody. Absolutely. Go full <laughs> biff from a, back to the future. <laughs> right, Justin, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. Always good when Justin asks me, what is it time for? Um, <laughs> during the jingle. <laughs> Completely forgetting we are doing a podcast. Um, well, it's not been confirmed yet, but it's expected championship games will be called off again next weekend. It's because of the Queen's funeral, which is next Monday. As I say, not confirmed yet, but worth keeping in mind, especially if you are planning on a away day or some sort of... Um, match-going experience. The Mirror reports Birmingham's takeover is hanging in the balance. It's because the exclusivity period for businessman Paul Richardson and former footballer Maxi Lopez to complete the deal has nearly expired and the Mirror says the deal is no nearer to being resolved. Um, It sounds like this is just another false dawn for Birmingham City, Justin. Yeah, literally had gritted teeth uh, hearing that. Because it's frustrating from a Birmingham City fan's perspective because this carrot's been dangled for a while um, with uh, Maxi Lopez and and, and, um, and Richardson. So it'd be frustrating if it doesn't go through. Um, but I think the important thing is Birmingham City ends up in the right hands and whether that's Lopez and Richardson eventually or somebody else who is a who is the right owner with you know the right finance financial backing, um, then then that's that's all that matters. I know. It might seem that they need to sell quickly, um, but it has to be to the right person. That's the most important thing. So if they get through this exclusivity period and they're not stumped up the cash, then maybe they're not the right the right owners. Well, that's it for me, Justin. I know Birmingham fans are desperate, absolutely desperate to get the current ownership out of the door as soon as possible. But I fear a lot of fans are so desperate for that to happen that they're 
taking a bad hand and swapping it for a bad hand because mm-hmm. every warning sign about these guys is just flickering into it i mean if you've got if you've had this exclusivity period for so long and the deal's not been wrapped up then they clearly are struggling to provide enough funds to take over the football club and that's not a good start is it i'm sure they're going in with the right intentions i'm, I'm not saying they're not um but it's clear that they just shouldn't be owners of the football club quite frankly um especially when Matt Southerl is reportedly involved in the deal. If you want to read up on him, go and do it. He's he, Look at his time at Charlton. It wasn't great. So the fact he would be the new CEO, I think I'm right in saying, at the club, is not good um, from my perspective. So you've got that. You've got them struggling to get the deal over the line because they haven't got enough money. There's question marks over where their money's coming from. A lot of warning signs. So, as I say, I completely understand Birmingham fans wanting to get new owners in, but... I'm afraid you've got to be patient about it and not just get in any old any old guy off the street to, you know, take over the club and put them in potentially an even worse situation than they are right now. Um, Middlesbrough have signed Massimo Luongo. The midfielder signed a short deal until January and is a free agent after leaving Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, quick thoughts on that, Justin? It's a tidy signing. Um, I do rate Luongo. Um, I think he's a, a good player. Um, he's energetic. He's pretty good with the ball at his feet I think he's, he's quite composed um, he's, he's not rash um, and he had to, yeah, uh, an interesting option for Wilder whether or not he gets too much game time I don't know but they certainly need a little bit more depth in that middle, in the middle of the park he's not an answer for goals or assists but he will put in 100% every game he certainly will put in 100% every game he runs around a lot um, and that's his main attribute really isn't it I think he's an alright player the fact he's got a short deal until January means he's got that you know, carrot in front of him now to, you know, put him 100% and earn himself a longer contract, which I think is never a, a bad thing to offer. Plus, he's still only 29. I remember mm. when he was at, I think it was QPR, mm. and he was really highly rated then. He was a really good player for them. Um, his career's kind of, you know, it's not gone great since then. His time at Sheffield Wednesday was a bit hit and miss. But you've got yourself a decent player and... If he provides competition for Johnny Housen, then I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, is it? In injury news, Sunderland striker Ross Stewart is set to be out for around six to eight weeks because of thigh injury, but it could potentially be more. Such a big blow for them, that, isn't it? Sheffield United wing-back Max Lowe has suffered a bad hamstring injury, according to his manager Paul Heckingbottom. There's no timescale yet, but he needs to see a specialist about it. He's a player I really rate, Justin, but injuries have stopped him from going to the next level, haven't they? Yeah, it's it's a massive shame. I remember when he was at Derby. Um, just just as he starts to take off, he would always pick up a knock, um, and that would reduce his chances of getting into the first team. Um, that was well before he made his first team debut. Um, but yeah, he's, he's he's a really good player. You look at his form last season under Steve Cooper at Forest. Brilliant, brilliant player. And I'm sure if he had played every game, he may have pipped Harry Toffolo to our team of the season pick because defensively. I don't think there are too many better fullbacks than him in one-on-one situations. He's very, very good. Delivery can be um, a little bit hit and miss, but he's a, he's a solid, solid defender um, and a, a very good player. It's just a shame that he's suffered so much of injuries. Well, yeah, you look at him last season. He barely played in the second half of last season mm-hmm. for them, Forrest, did he? And that's why Jack Colback had to fill in there and did an all right job, but they could have... Uh, 
pushed him on a bit further if Max Lowe was available all season. But that that is basically it, isn't it? As you say, at Forest, he was playing out of his skin and then picks up an injury and that's set him back again. Same thing's happened right now with Sheffield United because he's been really good for them so far. So it, it is a bad shame. And this is apparently an injury that he's had before that's just come back and he's suffering from it again. So hopefully this is it now. He can just get over this, fully recover, and it won't be a reoccurring issue because in my eyes, he could be a week-in, week-out Premier League left-back. Um, it's just, as we say, as soon as he gets a bit of good form, he has a bit of bad luck. Hull striker Benjamin Tete is also set to be out for a number of weeks with a hamstring injury. And finally, we at the second tier send our best wishes to Marcus Stewart, who's been diagnosed with motor neurone disease. The former Ipswich, Huddersfield and Sunderland striker says he intends to carry on working as head of player development at Yeovil and wishes to spend time with his family. We wish you all the best, Marcus. There we go, Justin. Shall we call it a day? This has been the second tier podcast. This has been a q and I'm sure we'll do one again at some point. I mean, we've got a bloody World Cup coming up Justin haven't we where we've got to try and fill a number of weeks with content so there very very well may may be another chance then for you to send in your questions to us Uh, apologies if we didn't get around to your question today keep that in mind that we may be able to answer it again in a couple of months time maybe I've got the World Cup Um, but otherwise thank you for listening and we look forward to speaking to you again on Thursday when we'll actually have some football to talk about with midweek games in the championship so this has been the Second Tier Podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach And thank you for listening.